if there is a hum of excitement in the building, I would suggest it's because there have been a number of teenagers that have been here for the last two days, essentially, coming and going and being apart. And, and, and most of you came in and didn't even know that had happened, but the Disciple Now that took place over the course of the weekend, what was, in my opinion, um, a wonderful opportunity for many of the young people of our church to, to grow a little bit closer to our Savior, to know a little bit more about Him, to, to fellowship with each other, to have some fun in the process. And it's been a, it's been a really neat thing to be a part of. I, I just was part of it for a very small little bit. Um, but Brandon and, and Kylie and, and Justin and, and the numerous adult volunteers that, that gave up their weekend to be a part of that, we need to say thank you to them. So if you know of anybody who was a part of that, make sure you tell them you appreciate them. And, and there's something to be said about this, and I'll continue to talk about this in my ministry here, that I believe that when God looks down from heaven and he sees people volunteering at church, he's thinking of people that are standing with their back to hell and their hands and their arms upstretched, and they're saying, turn around, go the other way. And that these people are, are, are precious to Jesus, and these are his warriors and his soldiers that, that, that get on vans, and they ride with kids, and they, and they help serve in the kitchen, and they, and they just spend their weekend at a D-Now. And they are just people that are just committed to the task of making sure that somebody knows that there's a warning in front of them that they shouldn't be, they shouldn't be going any further down that path, but instead they should be turning to Jesus. And, and I hope that you get to be a part of that as we work together through Crossroads Ministries. A lot of stuff is going on. Make sure you check that connection card out. Kylie did a nice job giving the announcements to you. Make sure you go through and read all those, okay? This morning, we're going to pick right up where we left off last week, John chapter 4. So if you would turn in your Bibles to John chapter 4. The very last statement that was made to Jesus by the woman he's been ministering to, she says this word, these words to him in verse number 19, John chapter 4, verse number 19. If when you get there, you'll stand, but the words that she said is, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet, so I would have you stand with me, and we'll read from verse 20 and following. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Now, at verse number 20, it says this, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. Your wor you worship what you do not know. We worship, or what, excuse me, man, we know we worship Jews, but the hour is coming, and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who was called to Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Would you pray with me? Lord, we ask that as we come to this place and to these scriptures, Lord, that we would be challenged. We would be challenged to see you for exactly who you are. And because of it, it would change our lives forever. Lord, challenge us to see you with fresh eyes this morning in a way that maybe we have never seen you. That we would elevate you from just being a great teacher to being the savior of the world. That we would submit our lives to you and that we would run to you. And that we would become believers with every bit of our being. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So, when we left off last week, we were, there's this moment where Jesus has been dealing with the woman and she's wrestling with 
what it means to understand this relationship between her and the men in her life, to worship, to worship in, in a, a setting that we're going to talk about throughout these verses is to, for Jesus to unsort all these things. Because sometimes when we come to church, we come to church with lots of stuff, right? We come to, with all of our experiences, good or bad. We come with all of our history. We come with, with everything we come. And she's dealing with Jesus about her whole life. How then does it transition into this conversation about worship when he's talking about her personal life? Because in the context of this is that when we worship, it is very, even though it's corporate in this setting, it is very personal. So I want you to look at your neighbor and just say, worship is corporate and personal. Some of you are on board. We're going to get fired up today. Some of you are on board. I, 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 I don't know about you, but I'm just going to keep doing that until you completely check in and, and buy in, and you're just going to be like, he's going to tell us to look at our neighbor. He's going to tell us to say something. I better be ready. If you're not listening, somebody's going to look at you and start talking. You're going to be like, what do I say back to them? We see this picture of her and her and her complete, complete and, and, total, and total amazement of Jesus and describes him as a prophet. Remember last week I described that being a mouthpiece of God, the voice of God in the midst of the people. And it turns to this conversation about worship. And she says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain. And I, I think that this is a really neat statement because she has a mingled heritage, a heritage that is both some bit Jewish and some bit other. And she's talking about our fathers worshiping. It's this strange sort of like, Part of my history is connected to part of your history. And we begin to realize that, that this is something that is true no matter who you are and where you're from. You realize that if you trace the lines back, you're going to find some bit of shared history, that it, it creates a fabric that connects us all. And our shared history is something that, that we have to talk about because we have a shared history. But it doesn't mean that we saw things the same way, does it? And it doesn't mean that these experiences were the same, even though we shared this little bit of time. But it does mean that when we look at our current situation, we can look back on that, and we can realize just how divided we are today. So we have a shared history and a, and a divided present, don't we? Isn't it amazing how divided people can become on everything? I mean, Lord help us, if OU and OSU, we have a problem, a house divided, right? Oh, guys, come on. We all know, okay, if there's anybody in your house that roots for orange and there's anybody in your house that roots for, for crimson, you know, you're going to have a problem when that game is the same time, and, unless, of course, it's when they're playing each other, and then we don't even talk, do we? Right? We, we know the truth. We have this divided bit of present, but there are so many more things that are more serious than that that divide us. But with Jesus, we, we learn that we could have a united future, don't we? We could see a, a present that is completely shattered, but a future that's out in front of us that if we would learn to follow him, that he will help to reconcile all the parts. And the problem is, is, that, is that in her statement, she makes a comment where she says, 
our fathers worshiped on this mountain. And then she says, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place to worship where one ought to worship. And you see this picture where she's like, but there's a group of people out there that say that we can't worship here anymore. And we have to go and do it a certain way. And as a result, there's a great division. How many of you think to yourself when you wake up in the morning, man, I hope I get to go live in a very divided world and I look forward to the things that separate us? Most of us are like, man, I hope we don't have to talk about those divisions today. I hope that it could be peaceful and I hope that we could just go through this day without talking about the things we disagree about. I hope that we can find a way to move forward and stop being divided about all the wrong things. Well, as a result, when we look to Scripture, Jesus is not swayed by her jab at him at all. And, and he says to her just plainly, he just looks right at her and he's like, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither worship, or excuse me, on this mountain, nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. And he says, this place and that place won't matter as much as they matter now. Can you imagine? Can you imagine Jesus looking at somebody saying, this place that you think is sacred and that place that they think is sacred, that's not where we're going to worship? Can you imagine? It probably would have been insulting to hear both statements. You are undoing everything of my history and our shared history and every bit of your history. But isn't that the model of Jesus, that he is constantly undoing the things that we have always done? That he is constantly, he is constantly pulling them up and rearranging them and making them new because he knows that what we've been doing to save ourselves is insufficient and what we've been doing to worship is insufficient. You know, there's this ancient worship symbol that if you're old enough to remember when Falls Creek did the Ancient Disciplines Week that they talked about this symbol and it stuck with me and I always talk about it because it's just a really cool thing. Now, I know some of you, when your team scores a touchdown, you throw your hands in the air, right? Can you do that for me today? Oh, you know, you know, right? I have lived in some football. Not here, I'm glad, right? Imagine lifting your arms in the air as a moment of celebration, right? When you're a child and you lift your arms in the air, what does that indicate to the person, the adult that's around you? What does it indicate? Pick me up, right? My kids used to say this by saying, hold you. Because they know what I would say is, you want me to hold you? And they're like, hold you. Worship in the, in the image that we see in the scriptures is when we reach up to God and we're saying, hold me. And God is reaching back down to us and when we collide, that's when worship happens. And if you look at the two, a Y reaching up and a Y reaching down, and when they intersect, it looks like an asterisk. Now in the old style phones that you had, if it has six points, that's actually a worship symbol. It means worship. It's the collision of God and man. Jesus is saying, just because you go to a place doesn't mean you've met God. Just because you go to the temple doesn't mean you've met God. Just because you came here does not mean you met God. You might be reaching out to the wrong thing. But when you start reaching out to God, he will reach back and you will collide. When that happens, that's when worship occurs. Just following along isn't enough. Just showing up isn't enough. It's a nice start, but it's not enough. So he tells her that where they're headed, that's not going to be the deal. Verse 22, 
when he says, you worship what you do not know, we know what we worshiped, for salvation is of the Jews, right? Here's something for you to, to just, just latch onto, and that is sometimes, sometimes what we have been doing isn't enough, right? Uh, let me stop, and I, and I know I've been kind of sprinkling out some, some kind of relationship advice as I've been preaching, and I'm not going to stop doing that, so here's a little bit of relationship advice for you. If what you have been doing isn't enough and your relationship is not great, try something else. Do a little more. Don't expect to get a good result from a bad method, right? I was told by a good friend of mine who actually just lived right down the road down here, and he was a, he was a man, he was a firecracker. And he told me this. He said, marriages, people always say marriages are 50-50. And he's like, man, that's... And in his vernacular, the biggest load of, you know, and I won't repeat what he said, that, that was ever said, he goes, because marriages can't be 50-50 because that would mean you both fail. He goes, a marriage is 100% investment. I give 100%, she gives 100%, and in that we can succeed. He says, if all you're given is half, then you're not given enough. Coming to church, sometimes we act like we're giving half. But I ask you, when you come here, to check in and give everything. Give your full attention to the scripture. Give your full attention to worship. Give your full attention to every part of it. And you'll find that it is a lot more rewarding when you invest everything. What we have been doing is not what we will be doing if we do that. It can't be. It's not possible. You see, you can't come that close to Jesus and not be changed forever. I don't know anybody that gets that close to Jesus with 100% of their investment and is able just to walk away and be like, yeah, that was good today. Maybe not, ever again. I don't know if I'll try that again. When you get that close to Jesus, it transforms the world around you. And Jesus, he, he does this really cool thing in the middle of his conversation. He says, but the hour is coming. And now is. What an interesting expression. Look at your neighbor and say, the hour is coming. Do you believe the hour is coming? Our anticipation of Jesus is, is going to be the revealing factor in whether or not people think we know this is true or whether we just think this is good teaching. Our belief in what it promises tells the world something about us. You know, there's this, this moment where this man is, is rifling through a desk. He's cleaning it out. And I know a thing or two about cleaning out desks, you know, I've been kind of getting settled into the office here. But as you clean out a desk, you find old memories and all kinds of cool stuff. But this man is going through his desk, and he finds this ticket. And he remembers that about 10 years earlier, he had taken a pair of shoes to the cobbler, and he had dropped them off, and he'd gotten the, the claim ticket, and the, the cobbler was going to fix his shoes. And he thought, well, the cobbler still is in business, and I can go down and try. And so he wanders down to the store and he walks up to the counter and he puts the claim ticket on the counter and he asks the cobbler, he says, do you still have these shoes? And the cobbler picks up the ticket and he disappears into the back. And it is minutes. I mean, one minute, two minute, three minute, five minutes, six minutes. Ten minutes later, the cobbler comes back and he looks right at the man with the ticket in his hand. He's holding it right back out to him. He goes, I know it's been a long time. He goes, let me guess, you couldn't find the shoes. He goes, no, they're back there. They'll be ready on Friday. 
we treat God this way. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the time of salvation. Jesus says the hour is coming. He says, and is now. Or now is. And he says the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And he begins to say, we're going to transform the table. We're going to worship with our being and we're going to worship honestly about your past relationships. He's already talked to her about those, hasn't he? About where we should do it. It's not contingent upon where you live or upon what location you go to. We're going to worship in spirit and in truth. There are some things about our lives that we don't want anybody to know about. You know, one author in in his writing when he wrote for a television show that's a popular show said, there are chapters in each and every one of our lives that we don't want published. But you can't come to God and hide these things. You have to worship in truth. God, you know everything I am. You know everything I did. You know everything I think. You know everything about me. And that's okay. Because I've come to worship you, I have to be honest. Because I'm going to worship you with all of myself and with all of my truth. There's no place in the whole world that if you can't bring it to God that you should bring it. But we would tell our neighbors and our friends and everybody else about all the things that are bad in our life, but we would never talk to God about it. And that's wrong. He says the time is right now where you will worship in spirit and in truth. We see this picture, don't we? It goes on to say, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. Man, build your whole life on that one statement. The Father is seeking. God is looking out. He is reaching out. I said the second half of worship is when God reaches back and collides with us. He is looking for people that are reaching out to him. When they collide, worship. And he's looking for you this morning. Do you want to be honest with him? Do you want to tell him the truth about what's going on in your life? Do you want to be, do you want to be square with him about what's happening? Do you want to worry more about the people sitting around you, what they might say or think? God is looking for those of us that want to worship in truth. It goes on to say, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. It goes on to say that it's not an option. He's looking for those that are willing to do this, and it says they must do this. They must. You want to follow God? Got to be honest. I'd love for you to look at your neighbors right now. And look right at him and say, it's hard to be honest. I want you to think about, and I really want you to pray about, and I want you to decide to be honest with God. I want you to cry out to God about all the things. Not because it's something you should do, but it's something you must do. There's this really cool transformation that takes place. The woman responds, verse 25, I know that Messiah. She says that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. She clues into that honesty part, that truth part, and she's like, there's a Messiah coming that will tell us everything. And it is absolutely staggering that when you begin to get close enough to Jesus to realize that he's telling the truth 
that he's showing you you. That he, he is not allowing you to hide anything from him. He's waiting for you to acknowledge that he already knows about it. And she's standing there, peeled back, in a way that she's like, I know this is going to happen at some point. I know and believe that this is going to take hold. And Jesus is simple in the statement. I who speak to you am he. And he just goes from being a prophet to being the Messiah. Great big difference. Great big, huge, magnificent difference of being somebody who God uses to talk to the people to being somebody who can actually save you from your sins. Somebody who can actually rescue you from the life that you live. All the baggage, everything that you've brought to the table, he can rescue you from it. That's the difference between prophet who tells the truth and Messiah who has authority over everything in your life. You know, there's this great, big, huge point in history, and, and I don't know about you, but I love to look at the stars. Um, I don't know about you, but, but looking at the stars are really neat. There's a great, big universe. The Bible tells us in God's, in God's word that he holds the universe in the span of his hand, that he knows all the stars by name. He, he named them, each and every one. We haven't even named them all. We are too busy trying to number them. We can't even name them. We have computers just working at numbering stars. Well, we have these really cool telescopes that we've sent up to see, and there's a really neat one that went up recently, and this is not about that. But a handful of years ago, in the 90s, we sent up the Hubble telescope. You've heard of the Hubble, Hubble telescope? The Hubble telescope, when it was first launched, they waited with bated breath, anticipation of what would come back what would be transmitted back to NASA to see what the images looked like. And when it came back, they were discouraged greatly because they realized that something about them was wrong. So they put together a team to sort it out. They replaced a mirror on the device. I make it sound like it was just like, hey, let's get some Windex. They had to work with like astronauts to replace a mirror on this thing. And they realized that they hadn't, some of the lenses weren't right like they should have been. I mean, if my, if my understanding of the story is accurate, a film, you know that piece of plastic you've got to take off your electronics? But when they brought that image back, after they had calibrated it and changed the mirrors on it, the difference was phenomenal. The detail was robust. Um, we're going to put an image on the screen. I hope we can. Before after. Prophet, Messiah. One tells the whole truth. One digs deep into your life and can change you forever. One is kind of fuzzy on the details. Do you know who Jesus is? Because he's peering in to look deeply into every part of you, to know every truth about you, and there's nothing Nothing, nothing, nothing that you can hide from him. He sees deeply into your life. And because of that, you can feel safe with him because he already knows it and he still invites you to come. You should feel welcomed into his arms. He declares that he is the Messiah to this woman. He declares that he is the Messiah to you today as well. 
Would you come to him? Lord, we thank you that you give us this stark contrast, this picture of life. Lord, that when we realize that you see everything, there's nothing that we can hide from you, that worship ought to be from the truth of our life and from our brokenness and from our fears and from our, 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 Lord, just from all the things, our insecurities, the weight, the burden, the stress, everything, we can bring it to you. And you want it. Lord, I pray that we'll bring it to you today, that we will lay it at your feet knowing that you are more than a prophet, that you are the Messiah. And because of it, you have authority to help our lives, to save us from our sins, to rescue us, an authority that no one else has. We thank you for this. We ask, Lord, that we will have the courage to respond to you in Jesus' name.